Start saying the clever stuff again. <laughs> all this, all the stuff that was going on when I wasn't recording. I was saving that for you. It's very sweet of you, but uh, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm here to pimp it out. Okay. <laughs> I was just telling you how I'm talking to some guys on Twitter. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. All right, welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. I'm the Duchess. Yes, you are. This is episode 16. That's right. 16. What are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about The Wise Man's Fear, chapters 34 through 43. Yes, indeed. And so looking ahead to next week, we're going to go over chapters 44 through 52. Thank you. Thank you. 44 through 52. I wish I had written that down, but that's okay. You got it written down, so... We'll get it squared away. All right. And we're also going to give our spoiler policy very quickly. Would you like to give it? Sure. Um, so we are working our way through Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear. Um, we are, are going to be spoiling anything up to Chapter 43. But after that, we are not going to go into anything after that book, um, that stage of the book. Chad has not read the books yet. So I if you run into him. To. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I've inadvertently spoiled stuff already it's hard but if you run into him at the grocery store you'll realize it you'll be like a couple hundred pages from now you're gonna be like oh damn it liz spoiled that course not kind of really yeah that's okay. okay anyway spoilers up to this section of the book um we have not read slow regard of silent things either so that's where we're at there you go fantastic all right last episode we ended with kind of a bang you know, we did. Yeah, it definitely last, went out on a high note. There. Yeah, the last chapter we read was the uh, the f- quite thorough humiliation of Ambrose, and we all like that. We do, and we had this awesome, like Ocean's Eleven style caper. You know, where yeah. the Foth was able to put together sort of a dream team, and uh, they they went through and managed to not only get the mommet that Ambrose had made and was using to torture Foth, but also the pawn slip for Denna's ring. Mm-hmm. And so it, it did. It ended up with there was a, a lot of humorous parts. We got to see uh, Sim and Fella start to build a relationship. We got to see a sort of almost reconciliation with Debbie come along. Mm-hmm. Um, just generally the whole Scooby gang kind of got to all be badasses in their own way. A um, lot of descriptions of Fella's boobs. I mean, there was a lot something of something for any, everyone, really. <laughs> it really had something for everybody. <laughs> Uh, especially if you like Fela's boobs, <laughs> which who doesn't? Most people do. I, I mean, I think I think Mola and Debbie talked about it more than anybody else. I, I'm personally a fan. I so, mean, what are you gonna? I mean, there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Um, so yeah, so last section that we read was a really pretty exciting section. This section wasn't quite as exciting. Not that it was a bad section. But it definitely wasn't last section. Yeah, the pace definitely slowed down in this one. Um, 
So in this section of chapters, just to give sort of a plot-wise overview of chapters 34 through 43, uh, Kvothe gets Dennis ring back. We have Nina reappearing, um, and she's got some more information that leads Kvothe and his friends on a, a hunt to find out more things about the Amir. Um, they spend a lot of time in the library. Kvothe finally meets Puppet, and then Kvothe and Debbie make up, and... Denna leaves for realsies. Oh this yeah, time. we got we got the letter. Yeah, right. Saying that she's gone. She's gone for gone's. Right. So yeah, so that's kind of the the overall you know plot summary there. And I feel like this is kind of a transitional section. You know, we came out of this kind of high note, and I feel like we're getting ready to go into a change. Obviously, I don't know, but that's sort of kind of how I feel. So it feels kind of like a transitional section. So you know, I don't really hold much against it that it was kind of a little bit of everything in a bunch of different directions all at once i do feel like there was a lot here from a foreshadowing and kind of information standpoint a lot of like little expositions and name drops and things that i feel are important but i don't know enough yet to know if that's true or or what they could be important for so we'll see how it all plays out I think you're right, and I'm I'm impressed that you picked up on that because well, I don't know what it means. I just well, <laughs> sense- but the first time I read this, this is the point in the books where I, I remember kind of getting through this, and you know, now they're just sitting around drinking, telling stories, and it, that part for me felt really slow, and it, I kind of probably skimmed it this section the first couple of times. I'm not a fan of the story within a story, hmm. um, so. You know, that's generally not something that I read into too deeply. But this time through the books, for me, having to sit down and take notes, I got a lot more out of it. And I I think, yeah, it was a lot of important information given um, during this section of chapters. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I felt. That's my my radar was pinging, uh, even though I don't know yet what to apply any of that information to. All right, but do you want to get into chapter 34? Chapter 34 is called Bobbles. Bobbles, yes. And so this is uh, this is really just kind of a section where Quoth wakes up the, the morning after, and then he realizes that Denna never wrote him back, or at least he never got anything back, and then he proceeds to go and get her ring out of the jewelers. And while he's there, the jeweler lets, or, or Quoth notes rather, that there's a very, very impressive emerald behind the glass, and Quoth talks to the the owner, the shop owner, and gets the impression that Denna had hawked that diamond, or uh, emerald rather, to be able to pay for his loot case. That's what he believes. Dun, dun, dun. Which, you know. I think she probably did, and that was pretty cool of her, in my opinion. I, I, when I read that, I'm like, you know what, that for me, that shows that Denna really has some genuine feelings and, and was willing to make a genuine, pretty big sacrifice for him. Which is where the whole Denna thing just continues to get frustrating because you see one piece of evidence that leads you to believe that she is just taking advantage of these, this boy and going to spy on him and turn his information over and all of that. And then you see a piece of evidence that tells you that she really does care deeply about this kid. You don't know what's real. I mean, it's possible that both of those things are real. But at the same point in time, when I look at that situation with the Emerald, what I see is I see Quoth noting 
a beautiful emerald, and then I see a jeweler saying that, yes, a young girl sold it, and that's all the evidence. Is she the only young girl in Emray with an emerald? Did he uh, see probably. the emerald? Did he see the emerald on her before? Did he know it was oh, hers? Yes. Oh, okay, so that's, yes. so that's a detail I missed. Okay. Definitely many times has been mentioned Denna wearing this emerald necklace. Gotcha, okay. Um, it's it's it, from, I think, um, gosh, who was the mook? The mook who um, was with her in the Aeolian. The what? The mook. What's a mook? You know what a mook is? I'm a little I'm a little worried if I should be offended or not. It sounds terribly racist. <laughs> no. What the hell's a mook? A mook is a guy with like a popped collar, so okay, like a palooka. polo shirt. That's not a word. Just made Palooka's that up. Palooka's not a word? It's not but, a word? But mook is? <laughs> yes. He's a palooka. He wears cargo shorts. He's got his like tips frosted. He's a mook. Okay. So a palooka. Okay. <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> okay. I, I've just never heard that language. Well, sh- now you have. Now so I have. she's she's with feel, this mook in I the feel Aeolian. Educated. Okay. Right. Where she pretends to drop her earring. Oh, it's that earring. Yeah. Well, that's the necklace that went with those earrings. Oh, gotcha. That the mook bought her. And what I caught okay. this time was that. And, and, and Denna had mentioned it before that she was holding on to that necklace as a security security net in case mm-hmm. things got really bad, she could sell it. And Quoth mentions that when he asked the jeweler how much it would cost, he said it was enough for a girl like Denna to live comfortably in Imre for at least a year. Yeah. So she pretty much gave up that security net in order to be able to give him this loot case. Of course, she royally fucked that whole thing up um, with stealing his loot and everything. I feel like that's much ado about nothing. We're just going to do a lot of agreeing to disagree in this episode, and that's okay. We're allowed to do that. That's okay. Sometimes that's the way your relationship works. (laughs) We're we're allowed to do that. I don't (laughs) think it was that big of a deal. I think it shows that both of them are both of them are are people whose interests are quite fragmented and like their attention is pulled other directions. You know, the quote is really more in love with his, with his loot than he is with just about anything else. Um, I, I, I say that and I really don't feel like that's true. I think it, it represents something different for him. And I feel like she's probably got something like that too. We just don't know what it is. You're probably you know? right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal. I don't, I don't really want to go through and rehash it. Right. But either way, He's got her ring back, but he can't find her. Correct. Yeah. So, and that's pretty much the end of now chapter thirty-four. Stuck with this damn ring, he can't. Now use. he's stuck with this ring. So, um, chapter thirty-five is called Secrets, and uh, what was interesting to me is that this there's two chapters in a row that start off with Quoth complaining about Elodin and complaining hmm. about his jackassery and just basically reiterating that he is done with this guy. You're He's right. I done trying to learn naming. Yeah, I hadn't put that together. And let me give a quick summary of the chapter just so yeah. we can kind of reframe for people what was going on. Really, what ultimately what this is about is about, quote, finding Nina. He eventually finds Nina on his way to class. 
And then she is able to give him something that gives him a much, much greater insight into what was on the urn. And it reveals just a little bit more evidence to us about about the Chandrian and the Amir. So that's kind of what this chapter was all about. Yes. But I, I read that, and I hadn't put two and two together that, you're right, it was two chapters in a row where he was like, ah, Eladin, am I right? Am I right? So, yeah, I hadn't put that together. <laughs> so, yeah, it just and it just was kind of a throwaway, but it was kind of like, wow, that's so that's twice in a row he's he said this. But on his way to Eladin's class, Nina does reappear, and he puts together that she is the mysterious girl who has been looking for him almost borderline getting him in trouble mm-hmm. um claiming that he gave her an amulet or sold her an amulet a charm a charm and he realizes that he sort of like low-key lied to yeah. master killen but not he didn't do it on purpose, on purpose. he yeah, realizes yeah. that oh that's you know he had just to, to reiterate nina was a young girl who lived in the town of traben who um was one is probably the only living person who has seen a pot that was found in that town that had pictures of the Chandrian on it. And when the Chandrian came through, they wiped out what they thought was everyone who had seen the pot. They missed her. And only Kvothe knows that she has seen these pictures. So she Mm -hmm. described them to Kvothe and now has, she now is, she was terrified, but she has summoned up her courage to come back and give him this more information. And there was so much here that I felt was significant too. I wrote down a lot of stuff. Just, I feel like every detail that we get about the Chandrian is going to be really important at some point. Yeah. Agreed. And it's, you know, when you're like me and you're kind of going through it for the first time, it's almost too much because you just don't know what to latch onto and what, not to latch on to. I'll give you, if you don't mind, I'll give you my, because obviously I don't have the education about it that you do. I'll give you my kind of quick highlights of this is what yeah. stood out to me. Yeah, it's a great idea. And um, and then you can kind of build on that. So, so she, what she says, and I found this interesting. What she says is that, you know, she got a quick look at this pot, this urn, whatever it was. And... So she was never going to be able to, like, draw it from memory. But after he left, night after night, she kept getting these dreams where she was able to see it in great detail, just the one side that she saw. And then from that, she was able to paint out what she had seen. So she brought that to him, that painting, and she brought it to him. And what is on that side is Cinder, and then Haliax, and then one of the senior representatives, I forget what the name for it starts with a C. Siraday. Siraday, members of the Amir. And he's there, it looks like he's rebuking them, and he's kind of got his hand out, and he's got the blood, you know, the blood tattoo pouring down his hand, he's got the golden shield, and the flame of the tower with the flames around it on his chest. What I thought was interesting is that one, well, a couple things. One, I think it's significant that this is the part that whatever vision that she experienced chose to reveal to her. I have no idea what that whole vision thing means. You know, if this was a normal, everyday, real world and not a fantasy world, I would say 
it doesn't mean anything. It means that, you know, her her memory is likely to be highly flawed. That's what it means. But obviously this is a fantasy world and we know that these things exist. So is it possible that Taylu or somebody else gave her some actual vision? I don't know. Who knows? That's a whole nother issue. But the big thing to me was that the person who she was most afraid of and who scared her the most wasn't Haliax. It wasn't Cinder. It was the, the aimer. That's the one who she said she had a hard time looking at and caused her the most fear. And that relates to some stuff we'll talk about later in the, uh, in the chapter. The other thing I noticed too, is that she wrote it down on paper that she cut out of essentially what's the Talon Bible. And she scraped away the ink, but she left the names of all like the angels and things of that nature. And so written over each of the Amir's shoulders is the name of one of the angels or saints from this religion. And quote said, almost like they're trying to hold him down. And I thought, well, that's significant. I don't know what it means, but there's definitely some significance there. So those were the things that I, that I read that I thought, okay, that's the stuff to hold on to. That's the stuff to note. The, the fact that she was more terrified of the Amir, I thought was the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, I think you picked up on pretty much all the really important stuff. And I think every detail is going to be important as we move forward, learning about the Amir and the Chandrian and, and just all the mysteries surrounding them. Um, I definitely think it's significant that the Amir is described as terrifying. I think Nina says he looked like he wanted to burn down the whole world. And we definitely see in this section of chapters this theme of... Uh, goodness versus mercy absolute goodness um you know as we learn more about the amir we learn that they were basically hardcore lawful good hardcore hardcore lawful good yeah i'm almost lawful neutral um <laughs> right um so they um definitely valued um it, the greater good was their yeah and, and there's some stuff later that i want to talk about about that specifically right so we'll get into that but it's definitely that's definitely significant um what caught my eye this time through because we've been paying attention to times that the moon is mentioned and mm. it's mentioned an awful lot in the book but haliax is described as being surrounded by moons oh yeah that's three right. moons you know a dark moon a crescent moon and a full moon and that yeah. he is um, got two candles on either side of him and shadows spreading out from him. Hmm. Um, and yeah, then, one of the candles is light and one of the other candles spreads shadow. Right. Yes. And then Cinder is described as being surrounded by drifts of snow. And it made me wonder, um, because back when Nina first described the pot, she described a couple of different people with different things a woman with a broken sword a man next to a dead tree a man with a dog biting his legs a woman with some clothes off but it made me curious as to back in the previous book when Quill's parents were writing their song and they were speculating as to the signs that accompany the Chandrian mm -hmm. and Lorian Quill's mother speculated that maybe each Chandrian had its own sign. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why you didn't always see all the signs in the same place. Yeah. It wasn't and, this universe, one universal thing. Right. Yeah. So I just thought that might be interesting. And maybe Cinder's sign is the coldness. 
If he's, he's surrounded other. by snow, he's a what? He's another. He's he, a white walker. He could be a white walker. Mm. I mean, definitely that's what it makes me think of. <laughs> anyway, those were just my thoughts. But I do think that all these details will become important. And of course, I've made a nerdy little table. With him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. We'll get that up on the website. I will have to. Yes. So, yeah, I think that at this point, Quoth, some things start to fall in place in his mind about the Amir and the fact that um, they may still be around and that they may still be hunting the Chandrian in secret because he thinks back to his childhood at whatever caused the Chandrian to run and saved his life. Yeah. And realizing that the Amir were their greatest enemy. So it's just another hint on the path, his path. Absolutely. So next chapter. Um, the next three chapters are all kind of the same thing, or they all take place kind of in the same area. So if, are you okay with kind of lumping them together? I am, but I do just want to point out, did mm. you notice that chapter title for chapter 36? You know I didn't. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> it's a throwback. And the okay. only time that I have seen, have, it's the same title as, a, as another chapter. Um, and it's called All This Knowing. And mm. it's the, that's the same title as a chapter in Name of the Wind, which is the first chapter where they des- they describe walking home drunk from the Aeolian. Well, and of course, it reminds you a lot of of that chapter, right? Gotcha. So, I just particularly like that chapter title as well. It's a good chapter. It's a good it's chapter. It's a title. nice turn of phrase. Absolutely. All right. So these three chapters, thirty six, thirty seven, and thirty eight, are really about what happens on the way home from the Aeolian. He and the boys, they go out drinking, they hit a couple places, then they end up at the Aeolian, Quoth plays a few songs, one of which he doesn't even remember. Then they're on their way home, and they realize that they're too drunk to cross the bridge. So they just kind of stop, take a sit over by a graystone, of course. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. And sit down and sort of rest and kind of tell some stories and make a few bets while they're waiting to sober up enough to f- finish going home. And then chapter 37 is where Quoth actually tells a story. And chapter 38 is sort of them kind of reacting to the story and asking a few questions about the story. So that's kind of what that section is and that breakdown of that information there. Right. And there's a couple of things that happen here in these three chapters. First off, we see these characters reach a new level of intimacy and they start opening up about some things that they probably haven't ever opened up about before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in particular, we see both say his mother's name for the first time in many years. Yeah, and he kind of also confirms to the other boys that his parents are dead. Right. And that they didn't even really know that he was one of the Edamaru. Like, yeah. had never even At had the balls Sims to ask didn't. him that. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely learn a little bit more about Sims as well, about yeah. his unhappy family situation. Well, that's actually in chapter 39. We, we, we get hints that there's something wrong because Will is kind of telling Quote to shut up about it in 38, but it's not until 39 that he kind of tells him what's going on. Right. It's not laid out until chapter 39, yeah, but yeah. in these chapters, we just learn a little bit more about true, him. True, yeah. So we definitely see some character development here. We see these characters starting to grow closer together. And then we also um, get what would seem like a throwaway story, but we know that... Of course it's not. It's it's not going to be. There's going to be something important here. We also get... So let me see. 
I'm going to go right to chapter 37 is called A Piece of Fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the chapter where Quoth is telling a story. Yep. Just because the others are bored and tell us a story. Well, then they say, if you're at a Maru, aren't you supposed to tell stories? Tell us a story. But they didn't say it that rudely. No, they didn't. <laughs> no. They were nicer about it. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> so anyway, Quoth is telling this story. And first, it kind of reinforces for us or reiterates some things about the different nationalities in this world and what the stereotypes are about them. And it um, it also tells us, I think, something about Quoth a little bit. And um, it brings up the Amir. So we learn a, a little bit more about that. So we, in the story, Quoth is, you're following an old man who is traveling through some mystical place called Ferreniel. And I thought it was significant that the man was described as barely even owning his own name. Um, so he's going through these different groups of travelers and asking them for a piece of fire, asking them for something to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Keldish group of travelers turn him away because he doesn't have any money. That's their stereotype. Um, we see the Adem mentioned again. And so they've been starting to be mentioned more and more frequently. Yeah, you're right. Book. I've noticed that. Yeah. Um, so we, we learn a little bit more about them that the Adem uh, keep their words inside of them burning, and that's what makes them such fierce fighters. Um, they don't talk. They're twitchy. The the they can't trust somebody who's twitchy. You can't trust those twitchy motherfuckers, no. right? Mm-mm. So the beggar doesn't get help from them. He runs. If your into boy some, comes to your house and he's got another kid with him, and that kid's name is Twitch, look the fuck out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. So then they go through the Arturans. They try to hook them up to their cart. They're frat Uh, boys. Yeah. Mm, I think they're Pharisees. Okay. That's what I, that's what I say. The Vince thinks he's a zombie because they're very uh, superstitious. And then he runs into an Amir. So we learn a little bit more about the Amir. I don't know if you. Yeah. I mean, I picked up on that. I mean, the Amir, you know, essentially he said, you're welcome uh, to come and enjoy my campfire. I cannot, however, give you any food as I have barely enough to feed myself and I need strength for my day tomorrow because I have to go and judge a woman. Her life could potentially be on the line and I have to weigh your night of hunger against this woman's life. So, again, for the greater good, he's going to deny mercy to somebody. And we also learn that... The um, the Siridae, the highest order of the Amir at the time, were considered the ultimate authority in the land. And that uh, as a Siridae, his actions would, this is a man whose actions would never be questioned. He, it's uh, in the story, quote the saying, he could strangle a pregnant woman in the middle of the street and nobody would call it murder and nobody would question him at all. Yeah. Wow. So that's the kind of authority that this Siridae had. And then we learn that the Edamaru take the man in in the story and they they learn a little bit about, um, you know, what you should do if an Edamaru troop ever welcomes you. Yeah. How to approach it. But ultimately what happens is that the Edamaru, you know, not only share their food with him, but they welcome him in to travel with them. Hey, come with us. Travel with us. You know, be a part of our family. We we appreciate you. And we think you're we think you're valuable. 
So that's kind of where the story ends. And then Will and Sim are like, yo, man, that's racist. <laughs> They're like, not only is it racist, but it's really not that good of a story. <laughs> right? Like, dude, that's a terrible story. Like, I was waiting for the beggar to, like, turn into a donkey and, like, <laughs> give him a, you know, be like, because of your hospitality, here's a... Here's a shovel that will never be empty. I don't know. Whatever. You know. Uh, but then Quoth responds that the Adama don't tell stories to each other for entertainment. They tell stories to each other to remember important things. Mm-hmm. And that and that he maintains that most stereotypes have a kernel of truth, which is the title of this chapter, by the way. Kernels of truth. Kernels of truth. Yeah. Yes. So what I mean, what do you what do you see as the point of this chapter? I have no earthly clue. I mean, I, I really, I really don't. Other than, and I love the story within a story concept. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the story within a story concept. On its face, this story tells us, like you said, more about the people. Although it's rooted in stereotypes, it tells us more specifically about the Amir, and it kind of helps frame that. And it tells us a little bit more about the Adamaru. I sort of take it as a for lack of a better word, almost kind of like an Edamaru, you know, uh, morality play, you know, and sort of like to say, hey, you know, we value, you value people because of this and that, not because of X and Y, and also kind of a propaganda piece. You know, we're better than the Amor. We're better than the Aturans because this is what we do and that's what they do. I'm sure that there's more to it than that that's going to relate to something later, but I certainly can't put my finger on what it is. Right. I, I mean, definitely there's some exposition here that hasn't played out. We don't know. But we also know that uh, Patrick Rothfuss is not the kind of writer that that takes up space for no reason. Um, God, God I, I, I hope that's true. It's true. I'm sure of it. <laughs> you should have seen the look that I was given when I said that. <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder. <laughs> I'm just saying we've been here at Hogwarts for a long time. Don't don't do that. It's gonna be it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. Okay. <laughs> and I also think it's interesting to see some of the tensions between, say, Simon, who is an Arturan, okay, and and Quoth, who is one of the Edamaru, um, who Arturans hunted for hundreds of years, which seems like something that Simon didn't really know about. Yeah, and also it's sort of interesting that I, I take it Quoth didn't really realize that that Simmons was a Turin. Oh no, he definitely he knew okay. knew he was a Turin. I don't think he held it against him. But he he certainly didn't hold back when he told the story about the Aturans. He didn't, and and Sim calls him out yeah, and says, yeah. "I I'm almost offended." And Quoth is like, "Well, too fucking bad, too bad, because Aturans are dicks." Your great 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 Except great great you. grandfather was was fucking Hitler, so right, <laughs> you know? exactly. Exactly. No, and Quoth, you definitely, with his friends, with his enemies, he doesn't pull punches. He's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so the next chapter, are we ready to move on to that? Yes. Chapter 39 is called Contradictions. Contradictions. There we go. This is where we actually learn more about Sim's background, more of the details that that Will kind of goes over and lets Quoth know kind of more about what's going on with with, uh, Simmons. It's also where 
the boys go to the archives because they made a bunch of bets last night and they're looking through books to try to settle those bets. And they come up with some contradictions and they want to bring it to Puppet, but we don't actually get to Puppet until the next chapter. That was an excellent recap. Thank you. So Will and Phil's both in on Sim's family situation, which is basically that um, Sim's father is a mook. Great a. He's a great A mook. He's into wenching and all that. Yeah. And uh, Sim sort of was intellectual and sensitive and um, didn't fit in with that. And even though Sim is supported financially, he's not, he doesn't have any kind of emotional or. uh, He's not coming home for Christmas. Exactly. Exactly. And so for me, that was just a very poignant, because, you know, I, I just love this character and just was very poignant to see that kind of. Um, depth added to him you know that here's this character who is overall known for his kindness you know and his cheerfulness and to see that you know it's kind of despite not getting love and affection growing up and then it's interesting to contrast him with Quoth who they're sort of the opposite you know Quoth is um, dead broke has no support. Yeah. But he had the childhood, the experience of growing up loved as a child. Yeah. So it's just an interesting comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and then the, so the guys, you know, gossip a little bit about their friend and, and then they, they go to the archives and they have a history nerd off, which I <laughs> absolutely loved. It was, it was fun. It was fun. So they all bring their little books and, and who, you know, who's right. And, I think they all pretty much come up with a tie. Um, yeah, so the, fir- the first one was a bet between Quoth and Sims about the nature of, of Waystones. And I did pick up an inter- interesting part of that, which is that Quoth finds, or actually, no, I'm, I'm sorry, it was Simmons who found an entry where somebody said, essentially, that Waystones were not, I got to take it a step back here. Simmons argued that they were like pagan ritual sites quoth said they were road markers for people who are traveling and they kind of argued that point and they found evidence for both of those in their writings but there was this third point that came up that said actually that for hundreds of years people thought of them as doorways into the realm of the fae that is very interesting now not corroborated but definitely something i predicted back in like episode four you did predict that. I did. We'll see. Go if it, you. We'll see if it holds up. It's your birthday. I got to hold on to something. <laughs> when you get so was... many wrong, you got to hold on to the ones you get right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay, so chapter forty, they finally go and meet. Puppet. Yeah, and and um, I'm sorry, I'm gonna oh, yeah. kind of wrap up chapter thirty. Oh yeah, nine. It kind of ties into why they're going to meet puppets. Right. So they're trying to settle the bet with Will. And it was whether or not the Aimer were disbanded by the Eternal government right. or by the church. Yes. And they both kind of stood up on different sides of that. And they found two equally reputable historians, each saying the opposite, but in, in a way where it was like, it was very directly contradictory, like one saying this fact occurred and the other saying this fact did not occur and Quoth was very upset by that. He's like, but this doesn't make sense. It's not like it's a matter of opinion. 
This person, this is saying there was a document signed by the king or whoever in the 63rd decree declaring X, Y, and Z. And this one is saying that, that no, it was done by the church in this document. And, um, they really upset Quoth, so they had to go see Puppet to see who, if he could reconcile it. Of course, Quoth has never seen Puppet, has only heard the name, and doesn't have any idea what he's walking into. So now we're in Chapter 40. Sorry, had yeah. to frame that up. Yeah, it's okay. You gotta get it all out, baby. I gotta get it out. <laughs> so they go see Puppet, and uh, he's pretty weird. Puppet's another one of these characters, a lot like Ari, who is kind of half-cracked and living just in the shadows of the rest of the kind of normal everyday society. He lives, apparently, he lives in a room deep in the archives. Just lives there. With candles. With candles, even. And carves puppets all day, which is why he's called Puppet. W-T-H. Yeah, how's he getting away with it? Yep. And that's what Quoth even says, does Lauren know about this? <laughs> so, and Puppet's this real weird character. He comes to the door. He's, you know, he's acting goofy. You know, he's pretending to be, um, oh, I can't remember his name all of a sudden. Taborlin. Yeah. He's pretending to be Taborlin the Great. Did I do a great Taborlin? Did I do a good Taborlin impression? You know, just kind of being silly. And you think, okay, here's another half-cracked kind of loony character but then he appears when quoth gets in there he appears to have really incredible insight and can really kind of see right through quoth he just nails him right on the head absolutely yeah you know and it was interesting when they introduced quoth as a raylar you know puppet sort of scoffed he said as if he calls him a looker not a seer. Yeah. And says, you'll be a true alier at some point if you learn to relax. Yeah. A- a- which he's not saying you'll be a true Raylar, which is the title quote actually is. He's saying you'll be a true alier. <laughs> so, so like if quote, you know, wanted to be a jackass about it, he could really be insulted by this. He's smart enough not to be, which is a positive sign, I think. But yeah, he just... He really kind of gives him the what fur. And it's another person kind of, it's another vote in the Elodin camp, I think. Like, this kid wants to control so much, and he he only wants to look for the things that sort of corroborate his biases or or direct information that he can draw, you know, observations on. Not any kind of wisdom, not any, no no gray area nothing you know and this guy just sees it does barely talks to him and pegs him he quoth only wants things to exist that he can wrap his rational mind around yeah and that's just something that's so human about him um and something that's so endearing about the character i think and frustrating at the same time at one point i think puppet has a a little he does a little carving of quoth very quickly Yeah, yeah and he says look at it and then Quoth is gamely trying to figure out, like, you know, looks at it and and Puppet says, ah, you look too hard and didn't see. Yeah. And so this difference between looking and seeing is brought up a couple of times yeah, in this is. whole section. Mm-hmm. And it's really, that's what it comes down to. That's Quoth's biggest problem. 
He's trying to intellectualize things that cannot be intellectualized. Well, and it sort of makes you go back and think about all the interactions he's had with Denna now and think how many things, how many opportunities were there for him to see what the hell's going on that, you know, things we're picking up on. Of course, we're readers and we're supposed to pick up on it. We're not geniuses. But the point is the signs are there for him to see what the hell's going on. And he simply does not see it because he's too busy looking for absolution. Right. And Will and Sim can see it perfectly well and and tell him over and over, this girl is obviously into you. She's obviously into you. She bought you like a 40 talent loot case. She did. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, I don't know (laughs) for sure. I mean. I'm just happy to be your friend. (laughs) We know you're not. No, you're not. You liar. <laughs> um, and I like that when they leave, Puppet says, "Bring this one back. I have more work to do on him." Yeah, and, and and God, I hope he does. On one hand, I hope he does. On the other hand, I hope he doesn't, because I'm kind of getting tired of Hogwarts. It's time for this book to go somewhere. <laughs> okay. Well, it doesn't happen in Chapter Forty One. No, it doesn't. Sorry to say, it does not. Chapter Forty One is called "The Greater Good." Yeah, and that and this was one of the more interesting chapters to me. And and I'll be honest, I didn't really pick it up the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. It was on the reread. I think I was probably tired when I was reading it. But this is where uh, a couple things happen here. So first is that Quoth finds a, a little bit of evidence that gives us a little more insight into the Amir when he and Sims are in the archives looking. And then also he kind of runs his smart alecky mouth off at some people who were being disrespectful. And as a result, he managed to manages to get himself and Simmons uh, kicked out of the archives for five days. So there's so much good stuff that happens in this chapter, I yeah, think. Yeah, there's a lot to this chapter. Even though it's a short little clip, there's a lot there. Yeah, I love some of the writing that's done here. So first, Quoth and Sim are studying, and Quoth tries to show Sim a book by a guy named Gibeah, who apparently wrote a lot of very definitive works on anatomy. Yeah, he's also like, but he's also kind of like a, I'm, I'm going to miss the historical reference, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and make a fool of myself, but he's also sort of like a weird kind of like evil figure at least to the Arturans I call him the torture duke yeah good good word for it I was thinking doc, Dr. Mengele is that one of the reference I'm looking for uh, was he the like the yeah. the person who experimented on all the Jews maybe they, okay torture duke torture duke I'll go with it let's go with that so he was a duke of a his duchy was called Gibeah so he was the duke of Gibeah and oh no Gibeah was his name he was the duke of something I don't remember. He's a duke. Not Torture duke. Yeah. Tortured people. So basically, he did all this research um, that furthered medical science by leaps and bounds. However, he did it by cutting open living, unwilling volunteers and watching how their bodies worked. Yeah. So, and we find out that Simmons grew up not very far from where this guy practiced. His family, you know, back in the day, you know, was probably beholden to that duke you know he was probably a higher lord and they may have been you know honor bound to to in a feudal system to to work with him and it may have even been victims 
Right. So just as, you know, uh, Simmons wasn't aware of the slaughter of the Edamaru by his people hundreds of years ago, again, Fulth kind of finds the shoe on the other foot when he doesn't realize that Sim took it very personally. Yeah. And he's a little, I mean, he's so excited about what he's uncovered that I think he's a little insensitive to Sims because Sims is like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. You know, Quoth has a, a valid thing that he wants to bring up. He's like, well, just look past all that for a second here. This is something important. But Sims doesn't want to hear it. And, and I think, you know, to Quoth's credit, a- after a minute, he's like, oh, okay, I, I get that. I'm sorry. Yeah, and then, yeah agreed. agreed. But what he wants to show Sim is that this Duke has, you know, uh, inscribed in the, the margins of his book, the, um, the motto of the Order Amir. And so, therefore, both assumes that he may have been a hidden ally. Yeah, because of the order. it's not just that it's written in the margins, it's very cleverly hidden in some of the illuminations around the exterior borders. So it's not it's it's in there, but you really got to look for it to the point where Simmons is looking right at it and doesn't see it until Quoth points it out to him. Right. And so Quoth, you know, speculates that then because this Duke may have been a hidden ally of the order and certainly would be fitting with the concept of someone who believes in the greater good. But the fact that um, he lived before the order were disbanded. And therefore, you can assume that there was a network of hidden allies that could have hidden the order and continued their work in secret. Quoth um, speculates that the order could still be there pursuing some purpose in secret. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, that was not the most interesting part. Because we've kind of been speculating that for a long time. And so while it was good to have like a historical point of evidence that kind of points out what we've kind of already believed. That's not what I found interesting. What I found interesting was that the first person they were able to find this evidence of is somebody who was a torture duke. Goddamn torture duke. Somebody who killed 20,000 people. Now listen, in today's society, you got to work your ass off to kill 20,000 people. Like, you know, you're talking upper echelon if you're killing millions. You know, if you're a Pol Pot, Hitler kind of guy, man, you really, you really achieve something. But you had the aid of all kinds of people working for you. If you killed 20,000 people back in that day, man, you had to be killing motherfuckers left, right, and center. Right? Like, he was, he spent a lot of damn years. Killing people. Cutting people open. For the greater good. For the greater good. I mean... I don't know how many how many lives do you have to save before torturing 20,000 people to death and cutting them open is okay. Well, you know, Simmons obviously doesn't agree, but I believe Quoth mentions that, you know, he believes that millions more were have been saved because of this man's works versus the 20,000 who died. So obviously, Quoth is a little more gray in his morality. Yeah. And, and we a, see yeah, that yeah. again yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely been a consistent theme in this book. Um, this really kind of complex exploration of morality and um, is there such a thing as ultimate good? And what is the difference between, you know, goodness, justice, mercy, 
um, all of these different things. And, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of the scene in Name of the Wind where Beggar Quoth is knocked down during the holiday and it's uh, a canis the demon someone dressed as him who saves him yeah absolutely and so you've just seen like kind of echoes of that that theme all throughout yeah and it, it to me it's the first time it's sort of been tied directly to the amir absolutely you know as it, kind of a, a vehicle for that that and that concept you know and the amir if i'm correct were sort of a uber cult of Telu, is that correct? Yes, they were like the the, the strong right hand of the Talin Church. Exactly, and Telu, if we remember correctly from our story within a story, and Name of the Wind, was the guy who would line you up and smash you with a hammer. You know, right? and he, you know, with no degree of sympathy for what anybody had to go through. This was not, you know, this was not a. Gandhi Jesus figure who, you know, looked at people and saw what they were suffering through. This was a very cold hearted sort of God, you know, so should we be surprised if that's the case, that that's the way the Amor act? No, but this is the first time I think we're kind of putting the pieces together or I'm putting those pieces together. Yeah, it's interesting because as readers, this is sort of revealed to us. However, I think for Quoth and people in the book, they would have kind of known this about the Amir. Yeah. Um, they, you know, the Amir apparently did some pretty dark stuff towards the end before they were disbanded. Um, so that kind of looked at as um, maybe the way we look at the Crusades. Yeah, yeah. And, and the fact that they were disbanded. Right. I mean, <laughs> so for them, that's not a revelation. For us, we are learning more. However, for Quoth, the idea that they still could be operating that's pretty huge. That's like finding out there's like, you know, a crusader actually guarding the Holy Grail somewhere, Indiana Jones style for us, you know? <laughs> so he's he's blown away by this. It's like finding and, out that the Illuminati has always been real. Yes. Like I've been telling you. Like I've been telling you. I've been telling you. <laughs> so um so he's his mind is blown and and Simmons' mind is blown and right at that very moment Who is standing behind them? Who is standing behind them? Master Lauren. And this is what I'm afraid I gave away because when I, I came to this um, realization about Master Lauren way back in the previous book, it was because I was thinking about all this stuff. Oh, okay. Which hadn't been revealed to you where I was like, Lauren's an Amir. And you were like, well, okay. But. No, I don't think. I didn't realize you hadn't like they did, it hadn't revealed all of this. So. Yeah, I don't feel like that was spoiled. I mean, th- I mean, it is highly circumstantial that he's behind him and also suspends him for five days when really he didn't do anything wrong and and that doesn't again that doesn't trigger anything in quote he's not he's just like oh well okay it doesn't trigger anything in sims either either and so at the end and it's just so um interesting how while Quoth and Sim are like having this debate about whether the ends justify the means and this concept of the greater good. Quoth is at the same time, not even consciously, breaking the rules for the greater good. Yeah, for the good of everybody else there, yeah. And um, at the end, it just ties together so neatly and they have this little conversation where Sim says, the world needs more people like you. I, and I, I imagine that that's how the Amir used to be. You know, when and, he's, and he tells Quoth, 
when you see something is wrong, you just react. You just know what to do and you just do it. Absolutely, yeah. So it's just nice. It's nice stuff. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite chapter of of the section we read today. My favorite is the next one. The next one's a good one too. The next one's a good one too. So so the next chapter, Quoth goes and pays a visit to Ari. I'm sorry. Devi. To Devi, excuse me. I wrote Ari. I knew it was Devi. Uh, to apologize and say that he's sorry and try to try to mend that relationship. So that that's what that's all about. And this chapter is called Penance. And so Quoth makes a slog in some bad weather up to see Devi. And he um, unintentionally cheers her up by looking so miserable when he gets to see her. And they are able to um, kind of make up. Yeah, he, um, you know, he's he's like, look, I was an idiot. Uh, there's really no excuse for what I did. It was pretty piss poor and stupid. On the other hand, you did make a plumb bob that pretty much ruined my life. <laughs> and Debbie had no idea. No, yeah. That he was the one who was going to get the plumb bob. So she feels pretty bad. And they end up kind of reestablishing an equilibrium in their relationship. Yeah, agreed. I, I I don't think, you know, all is forgotten, but they've definitely, you know, no more bad blood, I feel like. There's an interesting paragraph uh, on page 312, at least in my book, at the end of this chapter, where Quill talks a little bit about having seed money. So he mm. offers to pay Debbie back I think it's three talents. And she says, why don't you don't need to give it to me yet? It's not due till the end of the term. Why don't you hold on to it a little longer? And um, he talks about how relieved that made him feel. Because if you've got something in your pocket, you still have control of your life. And it just reinforces how important control is to him. And how important it is for him to feel in control of his surroundings. And I think just think that's an interesting lead in to the next chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And the next the next chapter is when he gets so two things happen in this next chapter. First, he gets a letter from Denna explaining she gone. She's gone. She's gone. Uh and also we find out that Fela has learned the name of Stone. And she has spoken it before, but we just see an interesting interaction. Um Well, now she has command over it. Yes. Yes, so we um, we learned that Den has gone to Yill and that the weather is lovely there. It ain't lovely in Imre. It is not lovely in Imre. Um, so something that um, caught my eye in the very beginning of this chapter is the Keldish man who brings him the letter, walks in and um, is trying to get Quoth to pay him for yeah. the letter. Yeah, yeah. And he's trying to... And uh, he says, I'm sure the owner of such a fine inn can... And Quill's like, this is not my inn. I just rent a room here. And the the Keldish man says, oh, well, you look just kind of proprietorial standing there. <laughs> and so for me, not only does this speak to the way Quill just presents himself, that he just looks like he owns whatever place he's standing in, mm-hmm. but also a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I kind of liked that. I was worried when I, I was like, oh, Jesus, another person shows up at Anchors looking for... For quote, this could end bad. Bring your gloves. <laughs> Especially since, you know, we've talked about how we're, you know, we're not picking our chapters as much by the arc 
But I was like, oh, this is the last chapter we're reading. Oh, no, I'm starting to want to like. Something bad's going to happen, you know, like <laughs> some cliffhanger, you know, but that's that's not what it was. That's my bad. No, I, that's I, I don't, I, I don't want to set you up for that. I mean, not everybody who walks into a bar looking for you is going to kill you. Probably. Right? <laughs> yeah, so that was interesting. And um, yeah, and then, like I said, the, 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 the part with Fela. The part with Fela that I thought was the most interesting is really how Elodin behaves. Because yes. Elodin shows up, his clothes are pressed, he walks in looking, you know, professorial, and takes very seriously what he says. And everyone's sort of, and he shows up on time, and everyone's sort of taken aback, like, who is this guy, you know? But it shows that Elodin, for all of his peculiarities, he takes this seriously. Like, he takes the naming thing seriously. He's not joking around, which should be more evidence to quote that the guy is legitimately doing the best he can to try to teach you. He does care. Right. And he and he starts off by giving sort of a, a brief history of, you know, the teaching of naming. And he talks about how impossible it is to teach something like naming. Yet, nevertheless, some people still try to learn and some people still try to teach. And then he brings Fela forward. And then we get to hear again about the difference between looking and looking, looking and looking. Did that come through? Do you Tell understand? Me Tell me again. Okay. Looking yeah. and looking. Really? I'm going to have to give that another look. <laughs> so we'll call it small L looking and capital L looking. Okay. But it kind of, it's kind of a callback to what Puppet was talking about, the mm-hmm. difference between looking and seeing and how Quoth uh, looks so hard that he can't see. Yeah. So, and Elodin, in in an attempt to get Fella to wake up her sleeping mind, I guess. Puts a rock in front of her face and smacks, smacks her on the, her back the back of the, of the head. head. I know. And then he says, like a football look coach. at it. Don't look at it. Look, look at, at look it. Look at it. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're doing it all wrong. And so somehow that clicks for her and she's able to make a ring out of the stone. And we learn that students who have mastery of a name traditionally would wear a ring. That signified that. So I think that's interesting because one of the first legends we hear of Quoth, the arcane, is that he all these rings that he wears. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I was going to go there, which is interesting when you juxtapose that with his conversation with Elksadal, where you wouldn't want to wear the names that you know so openly and outwardly. So I'm not quite sure how to rectify that, but. Well, I think that was probably something from a different time. But yeah, yeah, who knows yeah. if Kvothe starts doing it again. Or... I, I get the impression that, I mean, who knows, we'll find out. But I get the impression that that's, you know, another one of those things that gets blown up in the legend. I tend to think that Quoth wouldn't just wear that stuff out in the open for anybody to see if it, if it was really that overt. But I could be wrong. You could be. It doesn't happen often. You're looking at me with a look that sort of says, no, you're wrong. (laughs) No, that's exactly what happened. I don't know. (laughs) You know, at the pace that this book is going, you may not know. I may not know. You're right. (laughs) I'm beginning to think this book is going to end with him being like, and today's the day they kicked me out of the university. (laughs) 
<laughs> I finally packed my bag. I'm like, man, there's going to have to be a whole lot of shit happening in this last book. <laughs> yep. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and I've said, I, I've made comments like that several times this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be clear. I'm still enjoying the book. But you have to look at it also that we're reading this book very slowly. And we're, well, I don't know, like a third of the way, at least a third of the way through this book now. And not that much has happened. But a lot's been said. Oh, yeah. A lot's been read, too. <laughs> Often twice. Sometimes three times. Just hang in there. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I have faith. Just I, hang in there. I have faith. I'm just, I'm ready for the Scooby gang to, uh, to get out of Sunnydale High. Right. You know. I don't know. The college years were rough for the Scooby gang. <laughs> you had Riley. Oh, God. Don't get me started on Riley. I have opinions about Riley. <laughs> I know you do. And you know I like Riley. Up until he became like addicted to vampires or whatever that crap was. Because he had to leave the show. But I told you it was coming. <laughs> told you it was coming. Okay, so next week we will be reading chapters 44 through 52. Yes, we will. If you're reading along with us. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm hoping I'm hoping we we move along and get our asses out of university. I I can't, I'm just trying not to spoil anything with my eyes. I'm it's, just it's, I'm staring straight at your nose. It's tough to do. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> It's hard not, it's got to be hard not to spoil things. So hard. Especially when I make predictions, which I'm not going to make this week, because to be honest with you, I don't have a thing, man. (laughs) I ain't got a damn thing. I'll tell you what, having him stay at the university this long definitely like throws off your sense of a narrative arc, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You're just kind of like, I have no idea. He might just sit at the Aeolian and drink for the next 800 pages. I don't know. It could happen. Well, I'm just thinking about like, you know, again, all the all the things that Quoth says, you know, in his little speech. And I'm like, for half that shit to take to happen, he's going to have to hurry the fuck up. <laughs> like, stop dicking around. <laughs> Get the hell out of this university. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe it all takes place. Maybe he never leaves the university, you know. But I don't think that's the case, you know. So who knows? Who knows? But I'm ready for things to start happening. It feels like, you know, we always talk about the three-act structure, you know. Right. And, and uh, I'm waiting for that door from the first act to the second act in this novel. And I haven't found it yet. I'm like, okay, something's got to happen to springboard us into the next phase. And mm-hmm. and I'm trying to be positive. I tend to think it's it's coming. I tend to I feel like something's coming, but but we haven't found it yet. Right. Well, just hang in there. Yep. I wouldn't make you read a book that sucked. It's not like TV shows. (laughs) (laughs) Or music. There are definitely some looks happening now. (laughs) A whole lot of looks going on right now. Oh, goodness. Okay, so... Uh, Do you have anything else on these chapters? No. No. Okay, no. so I want to talk a little bit about some listener interactions that we've had. Oh, great. And um, one that I actually meant to bring up on our bonus episode, but I but I forgot to do it, is we had a new comment 
on our on the website. Oh, hey. And nice. it, it is uh, from Rodney Norris, who is uh, Tatted Code Monkey, who you've been chatting with on Twitter today. Oh, sweet. So it's hey, from Rodney. that guy. Yep. And uh, he, he commented on our podcast, episode nine blog post, and he says, P. Roth says he's actually removing the use of the word shim quote unquote in the tenth anniversary edition because edition, excuse me, because he did not know it was derogatory when he wrote it. He heard it on the BBC and put it in without realizing the meaning. And then it says, A note for Liz, the part about Ari giving quote a wooden ring definitely made my ears perk up. I haven't made it this far in my reread, but I will definitely be paying attention there. Yeah. I think that was something I noted as well. And you know what I noticed? Maybe I should just talk about it on the next one. But I was going back over Ari's gifts to Kvothe and how each time it's something that he needed Mm. or symbolized something that he needed. Mm, I'll go, you know what? I have a table that I'm working on. So I'll bring it up next time. You know, you've been promising an awful lot of tables. I have been promising a lot of tables. But I can't put them up until the episode airs. All right. Right? No, you're right. You're right. I, ha- I mean, I will show you the tables. They're really beautiful. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> All right. And uh, you had some exchanges with uh, Rodney on Twitter today as well, kind of going back and forth about Doctor Who, wasn't it? Yes. I think generally the consensus is that um, we're excited about the the new Doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most people that I've talked to are you know, talking about the doctor regenerating and, you know, the subconscious process behind that. Um, I can't recount the whole conversation, but definitely some good thoughts going on there. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Mandy of Cast Request uh, chimed in on that conversation as well. Hello, Mandy. Hey, Mandy. Mandy is You're at awesome. Cast Request, which if you don't know that, I can't believe you wouldn't know that. But if you don't know it, it's at C-A-S-T-E-R. Q-U-E-S-T on Twitter. And if you haven't checked them out, you need to check them out. Oh, I'm such a fan of those guys. Yeah, they're good good folks. Uh, was there somebody else on there as well? I feel like there was somebody else. Oh, yes. We had a shout out from Kingles. Oh, yeah, that's right. At Kingles, K-I-N-G-L-E-S 10. And he says that he's Team Devi. Team Devi. So can I ask you this? Do Go you ahead, understand please. now when we first got to the first scene with Devi and I was like, Devi! And you were like, hmm, okay. <laughs> Don't get why you're so excited about this character. Well, yeah. Yeah, of course. But now that we've seen her like, she's been part of the caper and she's, you know. She also sp- Spanked Quoth soundly. Spanked him. She made him her sympathy hand puppet. Oh, She's funny. Hilarious. She's sassy, right? She's an awesome character. She is. I'm coming around on your Kristen Bell thing, but I'll never admit it. You know, uh, Grace, my lovely sister who was on the podcast. Um, last week. Last week, texted me recently and said that she saw Rose Leslie as being Debbie. Ooh, that's another good one. And I was like, that would be... She would be good. Rose She's Leslie a little be good. tougher than Kristen Bell. Um, you know, which Debbie would be kind of tough. I think I it don't depends know. on what context you've seen her in. Yeah. Because I don't think she she didn't play that same type of character on Downton Abbey. I did not see her in Downton Abbey. Actually, I didn't either. I just know. I just, just seen the screenshots? I just know she was on. Okay. No, there are screenshots. Should I? <laughs> Apparently, I have to go looking for screenshots now. 
But no, I think that I actually had to tell Grace to stop sending me her dream cast because she was making me like start recasting in my head. And now I'm going to have to read the whole thing over again. I think it's a good thing <sighs> because you need to be very fluid on your headcanon. It's so hard. They're going to they're no matter what, they're never going to be able to live up to your headcanon. I know. I know. Hopefully I won't be too crushed. I hope not. We'll see. You know, when um, Jonathan Norell and Mr. Strange, Doctor, Yes. Yeah, Jonathan Norell and Mr. Strange. I always get that mixed up. When they made that into a show and Matt Smith was not cast as um, Jonathan Strange. Jonathan Strange. Mr. Norell and Jonathan there Strange. There you go. Yes. When Matt Smith was not cast as Jonathan Strange, I thought for sure that I was going to end it all. It was going to be. No, and the guy, I, I can mean, never remember his name, but the guy they casted was great. Bertie Curvell. Bertie Curvell, yeah. Lovely, did a lovely job. I just was blown away by that adaptation. If you haven't read that book or seen that miniseries, read the book, then do, I don't know, do one or the other. But it's lo- both are lovely, and I really enjoyed definitely it. Definitely worth the worth the watch or the yeah. read, yeah. Definitely, definitely. All right, that's all I have. I think that's all I have. Yes. I think we're done. Sweet 16 Should in the we bag. Close awkwardly. We always do. <laughs> Picture me curtsying, everyone. That's how <laughs> awkward we are right now. <laughs> all right. Good night, everybody. Good night.